MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening they're all in line and ready for the start and they're off in the kentucky derby and american pharaoh broke out okay he's on the out josh josh what are you doing what what are you doing uh hey i'm not done yet hey here we go ready what yeah i know but what are you doing you're introducing the show today I am. I know it, it's a, it's a role reversal because oh, you I are see. a horse racing man, and you're going to lead the show today. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, the, uh, please resume. Back at it. Firing line is in the early mix. Dancing Moon is close. Upstart is three wide. He's eight lengths off the lead. Materiality farther behind than we expected. The trailer in the far light is Carpe Diem. Ocho is seven lengths behind. Ocho. 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 And they've completed a half mile. Dortmund, the leader, by a half length. Carpe Diem falls in fifth. And they're rounding the far term. Dortmund is the leader. He's on top, but the lead is shrinking. American Pharaoh is making a move on the far left. I don't believe it, Ron. Here comes American Pharaoh. Down the home stretch they come. American Pharaoh is taking the lead as they come into the final furlong. I don't believe it. American Pharaoh. Firing line not done yet. Dortmund is third. Frosted is fourth. It's American Pharaoh in front coming to the finish. American Pharaoh and Victor Espinosa have won the Kentucky Derby. Firing line second. Dortmund third. Frosted fourth. In a final time of 2 minutes and 3.02 seconds, Ron American Pharaoh is your Kentucky Derby winner. I didn't know Larry Colmus was coming along today. I This is a really odd issue. This is a really odd episode. It's a really odd visit with the Everything Guide. Ron Flatter, Josh Applebaum, and if you've listened to other episodes of The Everything Guide, then you know that usually I'm leading Josh, but today it's a little different story, isn't it? It's a little different story today, Ron. Yeah, we are talking horse racing and uh, flipping the script Uh, here because Ron is the star of the show. My guy, Ron Flatter, is a wise guy when it comes to all sports, 
But did you know, I know you know, Ron's specialty is horse racing. So uh, if you are looking to get into uh, horse racing, if maybe you always wanted to bet on it but didn't understand the bet types or the terminology, today is mm-hmm. your day. Ron is going to walk us through everything. Um, so, Ron, I wanted to ask you first off, today's your day to shine, but how did you get into horse racing? Uh, what appealed to you? Any memories? How did you get into it? Um, and why do you love it so much? started as a kid. It really didn't galvanize until I was an adult. But if there was any reason that really was the thread through all of it, it was Jack Klugman, and more specifically, Oscar Madison, and the old reruns of The Odd Couple. I always wanted to be a sports media guy, a sports writer back in the day, a sports broadcaster when it arose. And I thought, Oscar Madison's got it great. He's living in an apartment in New York. He's a total slob. He shows up at games. He's hoisting a brew, and he's typing away. And yes, Oscar Madison as a fictional character and Jack Klugman in real life, they lived and ate and breathed and died for horse racing, and I had to follow them. (laughs) That is a great story there, Ron. I think what's crazy is, you know, horse racing is one of the oldest sports uh, known to man, really. It's it's ancient, you know, kind of. Even further back than golf, uh, nomadic tribesmen, Ron, listen to this, 4500 B.C., they've been credited uh, the first to domesticate horses, the ancient Greeks, remember the movie Gladiator, chariot and mounted horse racing in the Olympics, the Roman Empire, Um, but it wasn't until British settlers brought horses and horse racing to America, Uh, the first racetrack was in Long Island back in 1665, 1750, the Jockey Club was created in England, uh, first to really regulate the sport overall. But then uh, horse racing in America blew up uh, right after the Civil War. Uh, 1868, the American Stud Book was created, which is a a registry for breeding of horses and documents lineage. We'll get into thoroughbreds later. But uh, really horse racing exploded 1890s, kind of with the rise of uh, the Industrial Age. In 1894, the American Jockey Club was formed. But then in the early 1900s, Ron, uh, anti-gambling wave sentiment, prohibition type um, sentiment really swept across America. Horse racing started to get banned in lots lots of states. But then racing was kind of saved by paramutual betting. So first off, this is a word you hear a lot, Ron. Can you explain to the listeners Mm -hmm. what does paramutual mean and why is it important? Uh, It actually comes out a lot because of one place where horse racing never stopped, and that was in Kentucky. And wow, isn't that a reason why the Kentucky Derby persists as our biggest race? Paramutual betting was really pioneered in various spots in the country, but became popular in Kentucky. Because unlike betting on sports, other sports, where the odds are fixed odds, and by fixed, of course, predetermined, and moved maybe by the influence of what bookmakers see, the final odds and payoffs, as my friend Dave Tooley at VSIN would say, aren't determined until all the bets are taken and the track takes its cut and divides the rest among the winners. So it's like if you and I decide to have a bet and you decide you want to wrestle me and I'm going to wrestle you and I'm going to make a bet, but I know that you're a, you're a professional wrestler and I'm just this you know meek, feeble guy... Well, you're probably twice, three times as likely to win the match. So you might put in $30 while I put in 10 We're both wrestling for the 40 but for me, the odds are 3-1. to one. For you, the odds are 1-3. to three. 
course, you know, Thule's going to take his cut for having booked the thing. But that's basically how paramutuals work. Yeah, I think that's really key. And again, developed by, uh, according to the historians, Frenchman Pierre Olaire in the late 1800s. So you kind of see that's, why. Yes, that's exactly why it's spelled mutuel, M-U-T-E-L, <laughs> not mutual A-L. That's why it's spelled that way. Exactly. And again, we're always looking to get some uh, some pub trivia answers uh, in the Everything Guide. So you got one right there. Um, but yeah, kind of once you get that down, Ron, we always want to introduce sports for our listeners. The first thing you got to know before we start capping, before we start um, identifying ways to, to find sharp plays, we got to know the bet types. We got to know the rules of yes. the road. That's key because if you don't know the rules, you don't know the, the options available to you, uh, you're already starting behind the eight ball. So uh, walk us through the basics, Ron. I think you can kind of break them down between straight bets and what we call exotics. Um, let's start with straight wagers, the win, the place, mm-hmm. and the show. Uh, where are uh, do, do you look to that, and what does that mean? And just kind of break down win, place, show to our listeners. Generally, I do look to that. And if you talk to seasoned bettors, ultimately you come back to this. There are other ways to win that we'll get into. But really, straight wagers, that's where you begin. And it's often the most valuable way to win a race because once you start diving into exotics, it's much like betting parlays in some ways. That can be the potato chips that can make you get fat and sick and you don't want to do that. Straight wagers, win, place, and show. The win bet, you win the race, the horse finishes first, you get the biggest payout of money. You also have the opportunity to have a little room for error. That's the place bet. Your horse only has to finish first or second. Of course, with the ease of the task comes a smaller payout, and it goes even smaller yet generally for the show bet. Your horse only needs to finish in the top three. It tends to be a tonic maybe for a better, but that can also be the slippery slope because you're not getting as much money on the dollar. And if you lose, you're sitting there going, my goodness, I bet that much to win so little, and I didn't get that. Minimum bet traditionally has been $2, but more racetracks are actually dropping that down to a dollar. <laughs> they must know what I've been bringing to the track in terms of my success. But in all seriousness, that's when we talk about the $2 better, the basic bet. Yeah, you know, let's be honest. Not too many people are betting only $2 on races, but racetracks have dropped it to a dollar because there are ways that you can make multiple bets that adds up and so that's why you're seeing that lower number come in not necessarily the people are only putting a dollar on a race perfect ron so we got our straight wagers win play show and that kind of reminds me a little bit of you know when you're talking straight wagers like in golf or in nascar betting on this you mm-hmm. know who's going to win the race who's going to win the event who's going to win the matchup and then um, obviously looking at coming in first, first or second, or top three overall. So those are your popular ones. And I think a distinction that I found a little bit, and I, I love going to Saratoga. Uh, I'm from New England, and in the summer, all my, my boys, we get together. We spend a day at Saratoga betting all the ponies, as they say. And uh, it took me a while to understand the exotics. I think exotics yes. are a little confusing, a little tough to understand, They're different than straight wagers, but you're going to have to walk us through exotics, Ron. So what are exotics and what do bettors need to know about your different exotic options? Exotics are simply another way of saying multiple horses. They have to finish in a particular order. For instance, you can bet the exacta. That means the exact finish of the first two places in the race. You say you want the three to win and the five to finish second. If that comes in, you cash in the exacta 
and that pays a little bit more than you're going to get just on a straight bet. Sometimes a lot more. The trifecta, you're predicting the top three. The superfecta, you're picking the top four. And there are also racetracks where you can actually go five deep as well. You also have a chance, as opposed to what we call those vertical bets, if you think about the listing of the order of finish in a race that goes vertically, we also have what's called horizontal betting in racing. If you could imagine a big sheet where all the races are listed, and they're listed side by side, horizontal bets are from race to race, looking from left to right across races one through eight, nine, ten, however many there are in a day. So that includes races like, or options like, the double. There are rolling doubles throughout the day. You want to pick the winner of the first race and the second race, or the second and the third, or the third and the fourth. You're picking the winner of two consecutive races. You can also have the pick three, the pick four, the pick five, the pick six. Obviously, the more horses that are involved, the more difficult it is. There's also higher takeout involved with these exotic bets. Takeout, that's the juice. That's the take, the tax, the vig, however you want to call it. That is what the track is taking in order to stage the races. Horse racing economics, being a sport that's been in a slump, tracks are taking more and more out. So this is something that seasoned gamblers will look at and say, maybe this isn't for me. Because where you're looking at an 11 to 10 takeout in standard sports betting, typically you're looking at 15 to 20% and sometimes more in horse racing. And that's why maybe you go back to the straight bet where not so much is taken out. Yeah, Ron, you know, perfect explanation there. Um, but I wanted to ask you, just in terms of straightening exotics, kind of before we move on to tips and uh, really, you know, racking your brain about how to identify a smart bet, do you lean on one more than the other? Do you have any tips for new bettors? You know, we talked about like when we, when we uh, did the golf episode, how betting matchups is a little. Uh, mm-hmm. easier introduction to new betters rather than picking who's going to win the whole thing. So um, tips for new betters. Do you lean more to, you know, show bets, place bets, straight bets to win? Uh, do you kind of wait until you get a little more accustomed to betting on on uh, horse racing to get into the exotics? And then you personally, uh, kind of how do you break up your bankroll and decide which type of bets to take? I'm very cautious about show betting because that is something that, looks like the easy get but you're not making much on the dollar there's a term called bridge jumping where if you pour all your money into what you think is a sure thing to win why not pour all that money into that sure thing to finish in the top three well it's called bridge jumping because if that horse somehow doesn't well then all of a sudden you're jumping off the bridge because you lost all that money for so little gain so what i do is look at the odds you mentioned american pharaoh in your seasoned intro josh might i add a very skillful call of the Kentucky Derby in 2015. (laughs) When American Farrell raced two races later, the Belmont Stakes, he was a heavy odds-on favorite. It was difficult to make money that day. So in that sense, you could take American Farrell and say, hey, let me use him and then maybe try and figure out the horse that's going to finish second because I'm pretty sure American Farrell is going to finish first. So if you bet American Farrell and Frosted, the horse that finished second to American Pharaoh in the Belmont Stakes that day, pretty good bet. You probably made some nice money in that sense. So I look at the odds. If there's not much gain, I'm going to want to maybe go vertical or horizontal and team that horse with other horses. But if there's a horse I really like at 10 to 1, I'm not going to go ahead and muddle that and try and get too greedy with it. I'm actually going to put most of my stake 
on a win bet or maybe a win and place bet on that 10 to 1 horse because it's a minimal risk for a maximum gain and it's a smart bet because you're actually using some knowledge to get to that point if you really like that 10 to 1 bet for something other than a hunch play. Oh man, what a pleasure it is to hear you talk horse racing, Ron. And remember, if you want to hear more from Ron, he's on Twitter at Ron Flatter. Ron, you also do a fantastic job writing your breakdowns and your write-ups and your picks for VEASAN Point Spread Weekly. Always remember, you can go to VEASAN.com slash subscribe to get all of Ron's breakdowns and everything else we do with Point Spread Weekly, our digital magazine. Uh, But yeah, Ron, let's move on to some tips because you've broken down the different bet types. We know a little bit about about the history of horse racing. Um, Let's see how we can identify sharp bets overall. So First, I wanted to talk to you about the conditions of the race mm-hmm. overall. I think uh, anyone who watches Seinfeld, you know, there's that great part where uh, Kramer's he's, his mother was a mutter, his father was a mutter, and he's a mutter. And, and you kind of yeah. always remember, like, it's not always a perfect day. There are different conditions. So um, right. how does that play into your handicapping and how and why is that important for betters to know the conditions of the race? I walked you right into my trap, poor Josh. Conditions go way beyond the weather. Conditions are written into the races months before they're even run. Conditions like three-year-olds and up, fillies and mares only, state breads, horses that have never won more than one race other than a maiden or a claiming race. These are conditions of the race. You look for those. Remember that the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, the Belmont Stakes, the Breeders' Cup, those top-level races... They're what we call grade one races. The next level, grade two, you also have grade three. You have stakes races that are called black type and listed. What I'm doing now is going down what might be like in baseball, going from the major leagues to AAA, AA, and then into the deeper minors. And then you have some of these smaller races called allowance races, where you have weight breaks that jockeys will carry a certain amount of weight on a horse because he may be a better horse and then a lesser horse to try to even and level the playing field might carry a little less weight also these races at a higher level are called handicaps the handicap is how much weight you put on the horse that the jockey is assigned to carry try to level the playing field by giving the better horses more weight. You also have what are called claiming races, where the horses are literally for sale. You or I could go up to the racing office and buy a horse before the race begins. All those horses in that race are set for a particular price, maybe 5000 10000 15000 or more. They're in for what's called a tag. Those horses are vulnerable. They're in there for a reason. You have to think, okay, they're not as high a level of horse. So bear that in mind. You also have, again, fillies and mares. Are they for colts? Is it on the turf or is it on the dirt? The reason all this comes into play, Josh, is because you're looking for horses that have run at this level before or are dropping down from a higher level because maybe they didn't have the success at that higher level and they come back down into an easier race. Sort of like having a major league player rehab at the AAA level. He's probably going to have a really good day if he's there for a little while and then you start to maybe bet on him to succeed. You can bet on horses to succeed similarly. So you go to the program and we'll talk about that a little later. You pick up the track program and you read it and you see, huh, This horse was in the Kentucky Derby. Now he's racing in a grade three race. That's a drop in class. He might do very well coming down in class from the Kentucky Derby. So that's what you look at in these races. Also, the distance of the race. Usain Bolt does not race at a mile, right? 
And so if you see Usain Bolt racing at a mile, say, hey, it's Usain Bolt. Well, he's never won at a mile. Same thing in horse racing. You see a sprinter trying to go a longer distance. The Kentucky Derby every year is always a case of horses that have never gone a mile and a quarter. And you also look at horses... Are they front runners or closers? Do they like to take the lead early and try and hold on? Or do they sort of pace themselves, literally pace themselves, to make a big run at the end? Those are things you look at. It's a lot to digest, but the more you're able to digest that, the more success you're going to have at the betting window. Yeah, you're exactly right, Ron. A lot to digest there, but I think uh, kind of the key thing uh, that, that you talked about is the fact that we, I think of conditions, a lot of sports betters think of conditions as in the weather, but as you mentioned, it, that's really only tip of the iceberg. So there are all mm-hmm. these other ones you mentioned that you have to be aware of. And uh, again, talking about the program, uh, we'll hit, hit on that later, how important it is when you walk in to, to grab that. And it's five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever it is, but you got to get it. Um, but I want to ask you too, Ron, you know, I think a lot of new betters getting into horse racing, it's super exciting and you can have so many races in a day and just make a great day out of it, hopefully make some money. But uh, it's not just looking at the horse themselves. You know, what's important, I think, is uh, looking at who the trainer is, who the owner is, who the jockey is, all these records, information, it's available. So uh, whether it's, you know, we always hear the name Bob Baffert, who always seems to have the best mm-hmm. horses and Chad Brown and Todd Pletcher. Can you speak to how important it is when you're handicapping a horse race to look at the trainers, the owners, and the jockey records? There's a reason you hear about these big names. Even the most casual sports fan has heard of Bob Baffert because he's won two triple crowns. The rich get richer in horse racing. Bob Baffert, in terms of classic horses at ages two and three. Chad Brown, he's the king of the turf in terms of horse racing in America. Steve Asmussen has a big volume of horses that have succeeded for him, certainly in the Southwest and in Kentucky and Louisiana as well. Todd Pletcher in the Northeast, same thing. He's won some Kentucky Derbies. You lean on good jockeys, the Ortiz brothers, Irad and Jose, Hall of Famer Johnny Velasquez, Hall of Famer Mike Smith, who's won a triple crown. You talked about Victor Espinosa, who has won a triple crown. Jockeys like them... Javier Castellano. These are all guys that if you've heard of them, there's a reason that you have. And also you have owners, Godolphin and Coolmore worldwide. They are just big, giant breeders of thoroughbreds and successful thoroughbreds. So when you look at them, you look to winners. You're simply looking to winners. And the other thing is, and we'll get into this in the program, you don't have to go by memory. They actually have their one lost records if you look next to their names in the program. So, And they're not as successful as they would be, say, if you're talking about your New England Patriots. We're talking more about baseball, where success rate of in the 20s and 30s is very, very good. Great point, Ron. I think, uh, you know, last thing here before we take our break, uh, quickly, bloodlines, Ron. How important are bloodlines, oh, yes. the lineage? Obviously, uh, the better your your mom and dad were, the more athletic they were, the, the more often they win. That's going to hopefully uh, get passed down to you. But uh, how big of a factor is bloodlines and how much stock do you put into uh, the mother and father of the horse? Particularly early in careers, Josh, where you don't have a lot of racing record to go on, you tend to lean on the bloodlines that much more because you just don't know what these horses do on the track. By the time they get to age four and five, if they're still racing, or even late in a three-year-old season, you have a pretty good idea of what they can actually do. But before that, when you're racing and betting on maiden races, maidens are horses that have never won a race, and in many cases, never even raced in a race, you start looking for the strong sires. Sires like Into Mischief, 
Tappet, Constitution, Galileo for overseas turf horses. These are the all-star daddies. These are the stallions. And when you talk about horses and thoroughbreds, and you were talking about the thoroughbred, the thoroughbred has been bred for hundreds of years. They are purebreds. There is what is called the chef de race, a handful of horses from which all good thoroughbreds or even bad thoroughbreds, all thoroughbreds come. It's almost like you're going back to Adam and Eve. <laughs> and so there are chefs de race from which all of these horses come. Northern Dancer, probably the greatest one in, well, maybe not even our lifetimes, but beforehand that spurred and triggered all of the horses now that we see racing. I'll even give you two other names. And why am I going to ask you about Scat Daddy? And pioneer of the Nile, Josh. Take a guess what the significance is of those two. Oh, man. Uh, are they Arabian horses from back in the day? Well, ultimately, they all go back to Arabians, but no, not not recently. You wouldn't have that. But uh, pioneer of the Nile, he had a son named American Pharaoh. Ooh. Scat Daddy had a son named Justify. Triple crown winners, and it wasn't accidental. So when you looked at those names, you say, okay, you see these names. When you go up on your program, and you'll see up near the top, it will show you who the mama and the daddy are, the sire and the dam. And you start to look for sires, and you look for what are called dam sires as well. The daddy of the mama, the grandfather on the mom's side, you look for that sire as well. And that starts to tell you just how good a horse might be coming into its racing career. And there you have it. First part of the pod. Uh, we've talked about tips, history, uh, different bet types overall. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, what is the paddock? What should you look for right before the, the race starts? Uh, and then we'll also, you have all this great information, but what do you do with it? The experience of placing a bet, what to say, how to do it at a kiosk, an app, in person, online. We'll get to that all next on the Everything Guide to Sports Betting on VSIN. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. 
Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back talking horse racing. I am Josh Applebaum along with Ron Flatter, the goat of horse racing. Uh, Ron, I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> that sounds kind of funny now that you think about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we're mixing animals there, but you know what I mean. The greatest of all time. Yeah, so if you have the guy. horse of goat racing, then you'd really have something. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, Ron, I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, I remember, again, I, I related to Saratoga just because that's where I go and I love it in New York, uh, you know, close to home here. But I remember kind of the first time I saw the horses come out and get paraded in the paddock, which is basically um, when when they get shown to the public and they're walked out and, you know, they look like these extravagant, incredible creatures and just super impressive. Um, but how, how much stock do you put into the way a horse looks when they come out? Is there anything you want to look for? Is there any signs of I want to bet on this horse or I'm worried about this horse, just the way they act? How important is the, the parading out in the paddock? And what do you look for uh, when, when that happens? This is something I should probably be more disciplined in doing, and I can say that about a lot of my fellow handicappers. We've compared notes on these things, and we get so absorbed in our paperwork before a race that we forget to look at the horse. And there's an old line about, are you a chart player, or are a form player, or are you a horse player? And horse players are the ones who really pay attention to the countenance of the horse in the paddock. And so one of the things you really don't want to see, and this was a lesson I learned very early on, you don't want to see a washed-out horse. If it's a hot day, you can excuse that. And you're talking about Saratoga or Del Mar, Keeneland. You go to these tracks when it's a humid day. Okay, there's a certain amount that you're going to see the horse sweat. But if it's glistening and it looks wet, that's maybe a bad sign. Uh, I'm going to try to be delicate about this a little bit. You look at the back of the hind legs of the horse, and if you see a liver-shaded streak on the horse, that's not a good sign and you start to talk about the horse being washed out. That means the horse may be nervous, and if the horse is nervous, that's not a good sign at all. Is he on his toes? He's sort of dancing a little bit. Sometimes that's good, but sometimes the horse can use all of his energy in the paddock before he even gets to the gate. If you see that the handlers are kind of wrestling with the horse to keep him calmed down and relaxed, that's not a good sign. If the horse is sort of looking listless and his ears are not pointed upward, that's a bad sign. But here's something you're saying, okay, I don't have all that much horse sense. I can't remember all this stuff. Here's something you can do, especially if you're watching from home. You're using an advanced deposit wagering platform. You're watching the races just on whether it's TVG or NBC or Fox or wherever you're watching the races. Listen to the paddock reporters. These men and women are fantastic at their job. Maggie Wolfendale in New York, Kate and Bradar in Florida, Brittany Erton in California, Joe Christofek in Kentucky. These are experts who know what they're looking at when they are looking at these horses. They, some of them ride horses for trainers in the mornings, and they know horses literally up close and personal. So listen to them. Very often, they'll give you a hint and then you might jump on what they're saying, and you find yourself firing on a long shot. And I'll give you a story about this recently for me. I was watching races from Royal Ascot a couple of years ago, Josh, and there was an odds-on favorite coming into the race that looked nervous and sweaty and was on his toes. 
And I went to the second favorite at a price at like five or six to one and cashed big on the race when the favorite didn't show up in the race because he'd spent himself already in the paddock going into the gate. So something to look at and not just to lean on your chart so much, but don't be afraid to look at the horse. I think that is just fantastic information there, Ron. And, you know, you have all this uh, all these insightful, uh, you know, things and tips and you want to look for. But now we want to put it into action. So uh, we have our breakdown. We've maybe maybe figured out okay, we want to identify this straight bet or maybe we're going to dabble in an exotic, whatever it may be. Um, We want to bet on some horses today. So uh, number one, it's just a fun time overall, you know, an all-day event. You can go to Saratoga, Keeneland, Del Mar, wherever it may be. Go with some buddies or family members or just go by yourself. It's a great time overall. But it's obviously much more fun, Ron, if you can make some money while you're doing it. So uh, as we talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, knowing the rules, the rules of the road, There are certain things you got to know, and the first thing is get that race day program. When you walk in, there'll be kind of like you're going to a ball game, a guy, a program, hey, get your programs, or, you know, get it wherever, uh, right up front, you you can get it anywhere, but pay that money, get that race day program. Uh, That's really your Bible. That's going to give you all the great information that you're going to need that day, all the stuff you're talking about with bloodlines, jockey records, owners, Um, but not just that. You got to know a few things overall. Like when we're when we're walking up to the window betting on on sports, Ron. You know we got to know um, you know the ID number of the game, the bet type. You know all just the basics. Uh, can you talk talk to us about the races? They're all numbered. Mm-hmm. Um, the horses are numbered. MTP. That's minutes to post. Kind of tells you how much time you have to get a beer, or go to the bathroom, or how much time you have left. But um, how important is getting that race day program? And can you talk to us about uh, the numbers of the horses and the races overall. And then we'll, we'll talk about what you actually say and do when you want to place your bet. Yeah, well, buckle your seatbelt because this is the one thing that it can turn off betters, but it should also be a turn on because we all crave information. Oh, man, does horse racing give you information? But at times it can be like looking at a legal document or, or a rental car form. Here's how it works. First of all, you can get the program. You can pay for it at the track or, haha. Use your phone or your tablet and download it for free. Most tracks have it for free on their website. So welcome to the 21st century, boys and girls. Now, when you go to the races, you see the races are numbered one through however many races they have that day. Let's say it's 12. And so let's say your feature race is the 10th race. It's the big grade one stakes race of the day. And this is where all the best horses are. Or maybe you sneak up on one race two or three maidens and you're looking to maybe get a score there with a horse that's never raced before, but you see some angles there. It's all in the program. Now, some of the things you find in the program, we talked about the sires and dams of the horses. We talked about their past record. Past performances are the key, and that's the most vital piece of information you can have coming into a race. This tells you not only whether a horse won or lost a race or what place that that horse finished, but how he got there. You see a series of numbers across the races from the date that they raced. Let's say it was on February 14th, the Valentine's Day Stakes at Track USA. And you see that it was a muddy track that day. And you see your horse, maybe there's a bunch of numbers, four, 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 five, seven. That means the horse was fourth after maybe a, a quarter mile and fourth after a half mile, etc. and so forth until 
finally faded to seventh. But then came back in the March 17th St. Patrick's Day stakes. And he comes back. It's a sunny day. And now you see three, 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 two, one, one. Was running third, running third, running third, second, first, first. Hey, looks like he likes a better, drier track. So you start to look for keys like that. How long was the previous race? The race today, it's a mile. Previous race, seven furlongs. Hmm, this horse looked like he was finishing strong at the end of those seven furlongs. I think he could get the mile. Conversely, you could see a race maybe going from a mile to a mile and an eighth. Hmm, this horse finished first, but he was only leading by two lengths at the end when he was leading by five lengths turning into the stretch. I'm not so sure that he gets the mile and an eighth. Or you see also, hey, this horse is now coming into a claiming race when he was in an allowance race, a higher level race last month. He drops down from a race that was worth $58,000 to one that's now worth, say, $20,000. I think he could do pretty well in this spot because he's going to be going up against easier horses. That's what the past performances tell you. That's what the program tells you. And it also gives you some real basics like what color silks the jockey will be wearing in addition to the jockey, trainer, and owner's names, but also what number the horse will be in the program and on the track. And generally, in the United States, the lower the number the closer they are to the rail, can be a favorable position. Certainly, the outside drawn horses, say you're number 13 or 14, that can be trouble. Not always, but that can be trouble, and you want to know that as well. All that is in the race day program. Well, hey, Ron, next time I go, I'm bringing you with me, so I can, uh, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just have you as my, as my guru there. Uh, but yeah, great information there. Again, the importance of you're going to take one thing out of it. Um, bookmark this pod, but also get that race day program. So um, I think the important thing here, Ron, is, you know, you want to make sure you get this right because you would hate to do all this research and all this work and identify a smart bet, but then, you know, put in the wrong race number. You know, you wanted race number three and you put in four or you wanted the fifth horse and you put in seven. If you screw up the race and the horse number, then boom, even if your initial bet was right, because you didn't put it in correctly, that, that can be an issue. So let's just talk mm-hmm. ways of betting overall. So um, let's say you're actually at the racetrack. Again, a great thing to do, a lot of fun. You got a, a, some time to kill, make it an experience. So um, you could either bet on kind of what you see, like a kiosk, which will be all around the racetrack. Um, you'll also be able to bet in person, kind of walk up to the window overall. Um, and I think the best way is. Uh, you know, obviously, if you have an app on your phone, you can make it super easy overall. But mm-hmm. let's just say you want to bet. In- um, what do you say when you walk up there? What are what are what do you tell the ticket writer? And, uh, and and how do you get your bet in verbally? OK, so you walk up to the window should always be prepared as a courtesy to the people behind you who are also trying to get up there. You don't want to go too soon because, of course, it's paramutual. You kind of want to know what your odds are going to be. You never know for sure until the race has begun. But let's say you go up there 10 minutes to post, 10 MTP, and you're in line. You go up there and you go, okay, I want to bet this race here. That's the easiest thing to do. But let's say you're going a little earlier and you say you want to bet a race a little later. Okay, so I'll say race 7, horse 11, to win, place, and show... Two dollars, go, and you put it in, and you do it that way. Uh, there's another way. Uh, you can say across the board if you mean win, place, and show. That's just another little bit of the of the knowledge and the uh, the uh, what's the word I'm looking the jargon, for? The jargon, the vernacular, the jargon, yeah. the vernacular. Yes, exactly. So that's a couple ways you can. Once you get to learning these things really well, you can start talking about a boxed exacta. Boxed exacta. 
well, what's a bot's exacto? Well, that means I want the three and the five to finish first and second, or second and first. Bot's exacto. It's two different exacto bets rolled into one. Still, you got to pay for the price of two. But that's another thing you do. Have that knowledge prepared for yourself ahead of time. Now, I'll give you this. If you don't remember what I'm telling you now, and since I'm only giving you the treetops, all racing programs have a page that teaches you how to do that. So you can actually either write on the program or scribble on your screen if it allows you to do that on your tablet. Or you just take a piece of paper and write a note to yourself how to say it. Believe me, once you get the hang of it, it doesn't take long. Don't be intimidated. It's almost like the pet going through the doggy door for the first time. They get a little intimidated, but once you get the hang of it, you're racing through there like crazy, and it doesn't take long. So, again, race number, race horse, race type, race bet amount. That's what you want to give at the window. But you also mentioned, Josh, because we're in the 21st century, if you can get what's called an advanced deposit wagering platform, I highly encourage that. I've been using these for years. If your state allows it, do it. And that means you can do it from home. And the best part of this, Josh, is no matter how long the line is at the window at the racetrack, if you've got that app in the palm of your hand, you don't need to know the jargon, you don't need to know the lingo, and you don't have to worry about the line. You can poke away at it there while you're sipping on your beer without even having to handle your cash, and it's all right there. And I, I can't tell you how much that has changed horse race betting in recent years. I can only imagine, yeah, just the convenience of it and the easy access. you got to think that really kind of revolutionized the way the way people were betting on horses. And I think, Ron, uh, you know, goes without saying, but definitely to any of our new listeners, once you place your bet online, it's pretty easy. You know, you'll be tied to the, the payout. But also make sure when you bet at that kiosk, when you bet in person with the, the ticket writer, make sure they're going to give you that, that ticket, that – that slip that voucher hang on mm-hmm. to that do not lose that because you're going to need that to then uh you know bring it back in later yep. to get the money that you made and, hopefully and i'll give you one other thing because it's paramutual betting and not fixed odds betting here's the great thing about it in horse racing if something happens before the race that causes you to change your mind you can cancel the bet as long as you do so before the race. All the more reason to have that in the palm of your hand and not have to go back in line. And I'll give you the perfect example of it. 2015 Preakness Stakes, I'm at Pimlico, and I had Dortmund to try to come back and get revenge on his stablemate, American Pharaoh. Dortmund was pretty much a one-speed horse that really, if he didn't get out in front, then he was just going to be a plotter at the end. About a half hour before the race, the heavens opened, and it was pouring, pouring rain. And I thought, this is the last horse I want to have, is a horse that might not be able to get his footing on a bad track. And so what was I able to do? Canceled my bet. And I didn't like American Pharaoh at odds on that day. I think it's the only time I've been to a Triple Crown race where I did not have a bet. And so, but I was happy I did. And so you can do that in horse racing. If you have a reason to cancel your bet, you can do so at no charge. Boom, there you go. That's a a nugget of knowledge there, just in case anything happens or, yeah, you change your mind, you can protect yourself a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But, Ron, yeah, I think we did it, my man. You know, there's three times a year where uh, everyone is a horse racing fan. Your your aunt, your uncle, your grandma says, "I I need a pick for the Kentucky Derby, and we just tell them whatever Ron likes, we like too, but... (laughs) <laughs> the Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont, but hopefully today you learned a few things about um, not just you know betting three times a year or once a year. You really took an interest in kind of the art of horse racing, and there's so much that goes into it. And um, you know, I think uh, hopefully you learned the bet types, obviously tips, things to look for, uh, how, what to say, and how to get you know get down and get your action in when you're ready to place a bet. 
Uh, but Ron, any anything here? Departing thoughts? Any tips? Any uh, any last you know words of advice to our listeners uh, as we wrap up the pod? If it's raining, lean on front running horses that are going to show speed early because they don't have to get mud splashed in their face. And otherwise. Listen to the Ron Flatter Racing Pod at vcin.com slash podcast, and we'll see what other knowledge we can share. Perfect. There you have it. Another one in the books. Uh, remember, as always, this is just a tip of the iceberg of what we offer at vcin. Make sure you follow at vcin live on Twitter. You can find Ron at Ron Flatter. You can find me at Josh underscore insights. Go to vcin.com, uh, and hopefully, uh, hopefully we turned you on to horse racing today, Ron. Absolutely. You know, I got a horse right here. His name is Paul Revere. <laughs> and and here's a guy that says, if the weather's clear, can do, can do. Do you know what that's from, by the way? Oh, man. Is that the Beatles? Oh, you're young. Oh, my. Long before the Beatles. Oh, the uh, Guys and Dolls. Okay, okay, yeah. Guys, I was going to say the Grateful guys and Dead dolls. there. <laughs> no, me, from, me and my uncle. The song was called, no, it's Stubby K, a guy you don't remember. It's called Fugue for Tin Horns. Look it up. And there you have it. Another great nugget to leave you with. Thank you for listening to the VEASAN uh, Everything Guide to Sports Betting Podcast. We will see you at the racetrack. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.